Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at a time. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by the Well-Endowed Podcast by the Edmonton Community Foundation. The foundation acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come, while the podcast explores the impact of the passionate people working to make Edmonton that vibrant city. The Edmonton Community Foundation can help you create an endowment fund by yourself or with a group. Once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. You can find out more right now by checking out thewellendowedpodcast.com. We're doing some Easter planning. I realize we're we're like ahead of the curve here. This episode will drop a couple weeks before Easter. Uh, we're recording it even before then. Yeah, but uh, it's been kind of top of mind because we're trying to juggle a bunch of different like Easter plans. Look, when you come from two families as large as our two families are, yeah, you need to plan early. <laughs> yeah, because like people stake a claim on a certain day, and then you need to try to like finagle something for the next day. Yeah, which means someone else has to reschedule something, and so and so might not be available, and it may or may not work. We might have to move Easter entirely. Like this is the kind of stuff we deal with all the time. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure I probably have mentioned this at some point in the past on the podcast, but we do both have enormous families to the point where famously for our wedding, we went through the list of all the people that we would need to invite, all of the must invites, which is like immediate family, your uncles, your aunts. extended family. (laughs) Yeah, like uncles and aunts, cousins, that kind of stuff, the people you absolutely have to invite. And we were like, this list is way too long. So we pared it down. We uninvited all our friends. Friends can't come. We uninvited all plus ones. No one can bring a plus one. Unless you were already married. Unless you were already married. We said that we were going to cut out people who, you know, the, the extended relatives you don't see like once a year. Yeah, if it had been over a year since we had seen an extended family member, they were cut. Yeah, they were cut. And we still had 100 people. We were over 100 people. And at that point, at that we point. were like... Forget it. We're just inviting everybody. So and we, we had swung hard the other direction. We're like, everybody gets to come to our wedding. Yeah. So we cut what corners we could so that we could wine and dine and party with 300 people. It was a slightly above average sized wedding. Yeah. Certainly for two like white people in Western Canada. <laughs> yes. Like there are other cultures where 300 people is like a, a low count for a <laughs> wedding. But for, for us, for our culture, that is a high benchmark. And uh, to this day, people still say that it was a great wedding. That they yeah. had a, a very fun time at that our party. That always makes so. me feel special. So I was like, oh, you guys had the best wedding. I was like, we did. <laughs> I loved our wedding. We focused on the important stuff. Mostly. Which was mostly to ensure that all of the people that we cared about and loved were there with us. Exactly. And most of them were there. And most of them were there. So, <laughs> yeah. Nice I think the actual count came out to like the high 270s in the end. I want to uh, say it was 280. Nine or something like that. Oh, maybe. Very high 200s. Yeah, I always round it up to 300. So, So, yeah, when it comes to planning holidays, you can see why it it becomes a thing. It becomes a thing. And the family's only grown since then. I mean, we have kids now. Cousins have had kids now. There's there's so many more families. Oh, yeah, there have been more more marriages and more babies. And, yeah. There are, on my dad's side of the family alone, including all of the grandchildren now, 
it is 66 people. That's from, That's, your, from your dad down? No, that is from my from my mamay and my papay down. Yeah, However, sorry. that count only includes living people. There are 66 people. My goodness, that's yeah. a lot of you. I didn't even I didn't even count my side of the family. And that's just your dad's side. That's just my dad. That's not including my mom's your side. Your mom doesn't come from a tiny side either. No, that doesn't include anybody. And I only know that number because my mom had brought it up recently. <laughs> did she do the count? She did. Mm. So, and uh, it was like, wow, 66 people. That's, that's a, lot, a people. lot of people. Large families, yay. Large families, yay. Anyway, we don't know anything about the size of families associated with anybody in our novel, but this is my segue into talking about our novel. <laughs> completely sideways. So a brief recap of our previous chapter in which Addie and Dom encounter a dragon, which is a pretty formidable problem. Yes. And Addie's like, hold right here, I've got an idea, and goes to get the cloak of invisibility that the fallen Rucker still had on his body, only for Dom to get bored and decide to go and challenge the dragon himself. He gets mostly roasted, and uh, Addie is left in a position where she is the only person who can save the day. And that leads us into chapter 28, the penultimate chapter of Questland by Carrie Vaughn. Addie begins this chapter by following through on her plan. Yes. <laughs> which is to put on the cloak of invisibility. Yes. Yay. And uh, go in and try to sneak by the dragon. The dragon. She actually does some arithmetic here where she's like, okay, there are kind of three ways that you deal with a dragon in fiction. The first is you fight and you slay the dragon. And that is not <laughs> something I'm like, capable of doing. She's like immediately cross that one off the list. Yeah, I'm not fighting that dragon. I am not slaying that dragon. That is not in the wheelhouse. The second option is you parlay with the dragon. But this dragon doesn't seem like he's in the mood for talking. This dragon blasted them without any kind of warning, any kind of riddle, any kind of anything. It was like intruders, rawr! Yeah. So yeah, I don't think this is a tea drinking, riddle giving. No. This, friendly dragon. This is just a straight up security dragon. So that only leaves the third option, which is to fool the dragon. Yes. She's confident that she might be able to do that. So she throws on the cloak, she turns it on, and she sneaks into the dragon lair. And she actually takes a moment, kind of like huddled in the corner, to kind of observe before she makes her move. Which is very smart. That's good play. Yeah. She knows the cloak is damaged. She's not certain how damaged, but she's got to gamble on it. And she keeps an eye on the dragon, and she notes that it actually has a very mechanical kind of patrol pattern. It's basically a guard in a video game. Yes. So I was very excited. I was right. She needs to treat it like a machine. She even goes so far as to call it out. Like, yeah. it's just a machine. It's a not a real dragon. A dragon scary machine. Yeah. But it's still a machine, right? She notices a pattern mm -hmm. in its loop, right? It does the exact same thing every time. How it goes around the room on its patrol. Yep. And we don't know how long the patrol lasts before it goes to sleep. She doesn't have time to wait. No. So her it job could, is it could to stay up for the rest the of the day. It could stay up for an hour. Dom is injured. People are counting on her. She just doesn't have time. Yeah. The next time it makes the loop after she's observed this, she basically just starts following its tail. Basically. Very carefully and very gingerly, kind of like trying to make as little noise as possible. The good news is the dragon is making some noise as well, it moves. Yeah, because it's it's crunching around on its own gold horn, yeah, right? So she so, can afford to make a little bit of noise. Yeah, the room is not silent with the dragon moving around in it, yeah. which is a good cover for her. 
at one point she actually does like trip and knock something over and she like pauses and the dragon actually like stops and is like, did I hear something? Right. The dragon has a. And then it just like, no, nothing there and keeps on going. And she's like. <laughs> so it makes that it makes that alert noise. Yeah. The, that bring noise. And then eventually Bing. the timer goes out. Yeah. And it resumes its patrol. <laughs> she follows it, but it's also about pacing her. Like, there comes a point where because she's moving so carefully, she can't see the dragon anymore because it's actually looped towards being behind her. Right, like it's moving way faster than she can because it's big. Yeah. So she's just like, just don't look back, just don't look back, just don't look back, and finally makes it to the door on the other side. It's in a little alcove, so she ducks into it and, like, presses against the wall and holds her breath, and the dragon just kind of, like, comes up and loops by her. And she's like, phew. And then she's like, oh... I don't know how to open this door. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, now she's found the door. Great. How do you get through this door? Yeah. So she starts fumbling around for like an access panel or a secret switch. Yeah. Keyhole, button, something. And she's starting to get worried because the dragon is starting to make its way back through its loop. And finally, she finds a switch and she hits it and it makes a very audible noise. And the dragon's like, and she's like, (laughs) and she dives into the office beyond and slams the door shut. And thankfully, no gout of flame follows her into the room. I would hope that the dragon would be programmed not to blast into that hallway. Yeah, the control room. Right? Because that feels catastrophic. Also, the sharp contrast between boring office hallway that she tumbles into and scary dragon horde right behind. Mm -hmm. Okay, the theme park 101 nerd in me is like, why? What? No! I'm so angry at how badly this is designed as a theme park. But she is in the control room, and it looks like the control room of a theme park. It's got whiteboards. It's got, like, well, first tile she, floors. Well, first she encounters a hallway with a bunch of doors, and she heads to the end of it, which is the control room. Yeah, yeah. I want to know what these other rooms are. Probably offices. That's my guess as my, well? My guess is that those were, like, Arthur and Tess and Dom's, uh, Dom's offices before they really factionalized and moved off to their own enclaves. Weird, right? And probably Can you having to go past the dragon every morning on your way to your office. And probably one of them is like a, a conference room. Yeah, like a meeting room or a storage room. Yeah, room closet. Who knows? I this. It's just so weird. It's so weird to me that it is set up like this. Yeah, it's it's bonkers. Bizarre. Bonkers. She gets to the central computer, which she assumes is the correct one because it's the one with the biggest monitors and the most it looks computer like a control room. towers. It yeah. looks like a control room. And uh, sure enough, it like turns on and it's like, what's the password? She puts in the password that Arthur had given her, which works. Yay. She uh, finds on the desktop like a convenient park override. <laughs> <laughs> Is like, perfect. And then, of course, the computer at that point is like, insert override key and pops up a little switch where she can put something. And she's like, okay. <laughs> okay. Number one, I don't know which of these MacGuffins is the override key. Number two, how many chances do I get before the system locks itself? Because that's like computer security 101. Mm-hmm. You get like th- three, four chances and then the system shuts down. I realize we weren't ever going to get there because otherwise the story wouldn't work. But realistically, she might not have the override key at all. No, and that's that actually does cross her mind. First things first, she tries Dom's key. And Dom's key is like rejected. It's like, nope, no good. Two chances left. And she's like, okay. Okay, good. Now she knows it's not that. She knows how many chances she's got. Yeah. So she tries the trap key. That she got in Arthur's territory. Well, yeah. And sure enough, that one's also like, nope, rejected, get out of here. And she's like, oh, no. So she's got one chance left. So she empties her pockets and is like, what else do I have that could conceivably be this key? Right. We know it's not the rings. 
Gotcha. Uh, obviously, it's not Arthur's Triforce, which seems to be expended. She actually calls it a Triforce this She time. does. I've been calling it that for episodes. I've been thinking about it real loud. Obviously, it's not her D20. Nope. Which, is, which she jokes <laughs> is never leaving her pocket again. No. Then she settles on the amulet that was built into the cover of that book that she found back in the Dwarven Library. Yes. And she's like, well, I mean, it's amulet-y. What are the chances that maybe it's the thing? So she fiddles around with the cover and she finds a little switch. Yeah, she basically inspects it very closely. Off pops the amulet and she puts it down on the on the little scanner and it's like, hey, that's the key. You're like, in. Bing, boom, we did it. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. And she sees the whole park just power down, basically. Yeah, she basically just shuts it all off, which is good. <laughs> yeah. So with everything having been now shut down, Addie is able to take a moment to relax. Right. Like to let the tension go. And she like goes over to like the little mini fridge in the office and finds <laughs> some mead and is like perfect, and goes out onto like the rampart of the castle. Because through, like, of a course, little... the control room is connected to the ramparts of the castle. Well, I mean, the way that your office might have like a balcony. What <laughs> is this place? So she just she goes out the little emergency exit door onto the rampart, and she sees helicopters are already like circling. Oh yeah, well the purple is gone. Like, yeah. The first thing she notices is that it's genuine blue sky. There is no purple shield. Great. And there are helicopters in the air. And she can only assume that they've been on standby waiting for the shield to come down. It makes sense. She doesn't know if they're Lang's people. She doesn't know if they're Torres's people. She doesn't care. No. No. She's like, the cavalry is here. Help has arrived. I'm going to sit down. She can't see where everybody else is from where she is on the ramparts, but she can kind of take in the splendor of the island for a moment. Well, and she knows that someone is going to come find her. Yeah. Like, she doesn't want to go back. Even though she's fairly confident all the traps are now. Yeah. I still wouldn't want to go back through it either. No. I would want to take a break. So she like sits down and has a mead and finally, it's not even really finally actually, she even thinks like, it seems like maybe a lot of time has passed because my bottle is almost empty, but I also drank this real fast. So it probably <laughs> wasn't that much time at all. Also just been sitting here drinking. Torres and like another security officer who she's unfamiliar with, both like come out onto the rampart. She's very relieved to see Torres. Yes. Right? Finally a friendly face. Yeah. And I think, she trusts. I think deep down in this moment, she was hoping that Torres would be the one who would find her. Yeah, I think. <laughs> she wanted to see Torres again. And he, like, just kind of, like, slides down next to her and is like, hey, you did it. <laughs> so you did it. And she's like, yeah, I'm sorry about Rucker. I assume that you found him at the entrance. And he's like, it happens. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And she's like, that's almost exactly what he said, actually. Yeah, there was a lot of, it's not your fault. Yeah. He even said, it's not your fault. And it wasn't her fault. Nope. So... That's okay. Yeah, and she's like, I still feel bad about it. And he's like, that's fine. She's You're still going to need a ridiculous amount of help and therapy. Oh, yeah. And... She jokes that she's going to be billing Harris Lang for therapy for the next decade. Of the rest of her life. Which gets a, a, a genuine kind of chuckle from Torres. Right? She also offers Torres a drink of the mead, and he humors her and is like, that's too sweet for me. <laughs> <laughs> mead is pretty sweet. And Addie asks, like, so what now? And Torres basically lays out, well, in the short term, first of all, we did rescue Dom. He's been looked at by medics. He's being airlifted out of here. He'll be fine. He'll be okay. And she's like, I still want to hit that guy. And he's like, understandable. Yeah. Almonte is going to probably be the one laying charges. No, I did not know that she was a plant from the Coast Guard, but 
It's fine. <laughs> it's all fine. My team's job is mostly done. It'll be up to Lang's people to kind of round up all the other people on the island and take a head count, see what's going on, and decide what to do with them, I guess. Like whether yeah. or not they keep their jobs. If I were to wager a guess, purely hypothetical, because we, we might learn some of the fates of some of these characters in the next chapter. Maybe. For the denouement. I hope so. Dom will almost certainly be charged with murder. Oh, yeah. He'll probably be going to jail. Tess is probably going to get fired. Yep. I could see Arthur being kept on. He was the loyal guy on the ground. Arthur probably. I think Lang's going to have to deal with a really heavy lawsuit. Possibly. But because he's super rich, I think that's all it'll be. It, y- he'll, he'll be slapped with a really heavy lawsuit that he'll have to spend a bunch of money on, which is fine because he can or, afford it. Or he'll just settle out of court and pay like some undisclosed amount of money that is less than a slap on the wrist. Yeah, him. exactly. He'll get his mild slap on the wrist and who knows what happens to the island. Yeah, Dom will take the fall for the deaths of the Coast Guard people. Uh, he'll probably pay out a settlement for that and that'll be it but the real question that's weighing on Addie here is what happens to this place don't know because despite everything she has experienced some magic here and she doesn't want to see that be lost in all of the fallout of this because she's like yes there was danger here yes people died yes people were hurt It's all fake. And yes, admittedly, it's all fake. It's machines. I see that. But there was also like genuine magic here. She really does see the potential of a place like this. And when she says the magic, she doesn't mean like the rings and the unicorns and the dragons. She means like some of what she felt here was real. And she could see how that would be magical to other people. And she doesn't feel like it's fair that this place could be lost because of what happened, because of Dom's hubris and Tess's treachery and Harris Lang's paranoia. Yeah. And she expresses this to Torres, and Torres actually, she's very surprised that he understands where she's coming from, from a very nerdy perspective, <laughs> when he says, you feel weird because you destroyed the One Ring and the world still ended. Yeah, the world ended anyway. She actually counters this with, but that happened in The Lord of the Rings. Because the destruction of the One Ring and the and the death of Sauron was the end of the Third Age. Yeah. And the world that came after, the Fourth Age, was a different world. The Hobbits didn't get to go home because their home was different. It wasn't the same world that they left. And that's kind of what's going on here, too. Yeah. Well, It's bittersweet. In saving the world, they changed the world. Yes. You had to. Yeah. You had to. On this island and in Middle-earth. Right? The only way to save the world was to change the world. Yes. Hopefully for the better. But that's the question that Addie's making here now is like, did I help save Mirabilis or did I destroy Mirabilis? And she doesn't know. And that's kind of the question that we're left hanging with as we end the chapter. Kind of. Because we don't know. Did she save this world or did she effectively end this world? I don't know if it counts as saving it. I think this world was headed towards destruction anyway, whether self-destruction or not. I think maybe she just got there first. I don't know if that counts as saving the world. The thing is, you're right. Uh, And this is something that we've touched on a couple times in previous episodes. Lots of times. Mirabilis was founded on a flawed model. And so it was always headed towards some sort of confrontation right from jump because Lang had built in this layer of paranoia Mm -hmm. and the factions that emerged were just the natural result of that. And then pitting them all against one another, this was a fantasy world built on conflict. Yeah. 
So and, it could never have been a peaceful utopia. And in such a way that it would been would have been unsustainable in Complete. so many different ways. Yeah. We talked about it when we found out Dom wanted to take over the island. Like, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Right? She asked him, like, how are you going to sustain this place? Right? You mm-hmm. don't grow enough food for everybody. You're going to need to import something. He's and like, he yeah, just... yeah, worry about that later. We were like, no, no, no. You need to worry about that. Yeah, you need to worry about that before you do the coup. You need to know what your plan is when the coup is done. Yes. You can't just be like, well, I'll take it over and then we'll work out the details later. Well, no, because then your island, you'll take an oath of this island and the whole thing's going to collapse. Well, which is why, again, I said part of the problem here was Dom's hubris. Yes, but we knew that anyway. The clear solution to this is that Addie gets taken on as the new caretaker of the island with Torres as her chief of security. <laughs> and she's just in charge now. Who's she's gonna... the perfect person to be in charge. Is Lang still going to fund it? I assume so. It's okay. his island. Okay. I mean, that might happen in the next chapter. I don't know. It might. We I haven't read ahead. We have We have a denouement. But if you an want- epilogue, if you will. If you want the island to be preserved, we've posited a couple times- <laughs> Addie's, Addie's the perfect caretaker for it. Or maybe someone who knows something about theme parks. <laughs> yeah, hire yourself uh, uh, Samuel L. Jackson from Jurassic Park, a Mr. <laughs> Arnold, to actually run the theme park part of the theme park. Right? Yeah. Run it properly. Maybe don't put your control room. Behind a dragon. Behind a dragon in the castle. Yeah. Gah. Design your park better. Yeah, design your park. Can we go back for a second and talk about Addie and the dragon? Yeah, absolutely. I can see how someone would be disappointed in this particular confrontation. Because naturally you would expect a boss fight here. Mm-hmm. But that's not Addie, right? We talked about option one, slaying the dragon. She's like, no. She has neither the skill set nor the equipment. Like... The knowledge, none of that. She cannot slay this dragon. So we don't get a boss fight. No, but she really. she sneaks by it. Yes, which is the most Addy thing to do. And I I appreciated it. I loved it very much. Because she's not the fighter, she's the bard. And the best way to, for her to, to quote unquote, defeat this dragon is to simply sneak past it. I mean, there's the Lord of the Rings parallel here too, right? Because how does Bilbo defeat Smaug? He doesn't. He doesn't. He outsmarts Smaug. Yeah. Smaug gets killed by some other guy later on. Yeah. <laughs> some other guy. Bilbo, uh, Bard the Bowman, I know who <laughs> kills Smaug, let's be clear, but uh, the the point I'm making is Bilbo is our hero in The Hobbit. And I know I just said Lord of the Rings parallel, I'm just kind of rolling no, no, The Hobbit all, in with that. It's all the same world. In The Hobbit, he's our protagonist, he's our hero, he doesn't slay the dragon. That's not in his skill set. He outsmarts the dragon. Yes. Addie is a guile hero. She's not strong. She's not fighty. She's smart. And she thinks of a solution to the problem. Yeah. Which I like way better than your standard, oh, boss fight. Doesn't need to be a boss fight. Exactly. Or rather, you can beat the boss without killing the boss. Yes. It would It would have been very unbelievable if Addie had fought and beaten that dragon. Isn't there, you would know this better than I would, isn't there like an infamous non-fight in Dark Souls somewhere? Where you, you reach the boss and they're like, we don't have to fight. The door's right behind me. You can just go through. And you don't want to fight the boss. You don't have to. That's Dark Souls. Is it Dark Souls? Yeah. Is it Seath? It's not Seath. No, it's definitely not Seath. Sorry, just that's kind of what came to mind is that you don't have to fight this boss to get the key. You can just sneak past it. Yeah. And I liked that. Yeah. So many of my notes on this chapter are just me being mad at the design of this castle. Like, no authority, no safety commission in their right mind would allow this park to open it is so poorly done and so unsafe but on the flip side it is 
extraterritorial. This is exactly the same reason Jurassic Park was built on an island. That is like under nebulous control of a government that's a little more pliable with money because they wanted to be able to build the park their way without having to worry about safety restrictions in the same way. And I mean, unlike Mirabilis, Jurassic Park did have a ton of safety. They tried. They tried. But in this case, like laying very clear, like he owns the island. It's not really under any governmental jurisdiction that we can identify at the moment. Probably it's under like vague U.S. jurisdiction because it seems to be in U.S. waters. U.S. Coast Guard was on hand. And it's owned by an American company. Yeah, but I mean, like how much authority does the government have over it at that point? I don't know. It's his island. It's hard to say. You'd definitely be in a murky legal area. It would probably be tied up in courts for years, especially the first time someone does get injured and wants to engage in a lawsuit. Well, and you know what would happen if you're using, if you have in any way live ammunition like sharp weapons. I mean, people would actual, be actual. Yeah. Right. People would be signing waivers to go onto the island. Oh, sure. you'd have to. Yeah. I just the legal nightmare that is this island <sighs> explodes my mind. This is definitely a case of uh, an evil mega corporation doing something that they could, not necessarily something that they should. Agreed. <laughs> my goodness. We just sort of glazed over the ending where she said she was very sorry about Rucker dying. Mm-hmm. I think that's gonna hit her again later. But she did not care about the status of Dom. She left him burnt and breathing in a hallway. She didn't even ask. Is she finally over him? Is that what that is? I mean, yeah. I think so, too. Where she was so done with him that she didn't even care if he was okay. Well, I think she did. I mean, she in even in the previous chapter, she was like, I'm more angry at Dom right now than I've ever been at a human being in my entire life. But I don't want him to die. Agreed. And I think she was just trusting that because Torres had shown up and didn't immediately say, hey, Dom is dead. Why is Dom dead in the She hallway? just kind of assumed that he was being attended to and was at least for the time being fine. Yeah. But didn't care so much to have that curiosity confirmed. Yeah. This is a great way to lose somebody. Yeah. Dom. Anywho, so we have one epilogue left, mm-hmm. right? One last chapter to wrap up and see what happens, see how it ends. And then... We go full book club. We go full book club. We take a look at the work as a whole. We'll talk about themes and character arcs, all the stuff that we can do once we've read the entire book and can look at the whole thing in context. Uh, We'll probably play Anita's favorite game. Oh, make that movie. Cast that movie. And uh, yeah, and then we'll announce our next book. So we should probably find that sometime in the next week or two. Yeah, we're going to have to go shopping. So that's something to look forward to as you read the final chapter of Questland for next week. In the meantime, you know, Addy shut off all the power on this island, which means all the power was kind of centralized in one location. And uh, wouldn't it be great if you could do that with, say, the majority of your utilities? Just have them all wrapped up in one. Well, fortunately, here locally, uh, we have a little company called Park Power who might be able to help you out with that. And Anita's going to tell you all about them. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta. Offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you choose Park Power, you are choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Powers shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. 
Yeah, you can learn more about Park Power and the other network sponsors right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. It's also where you can find a listing of all the other network podcasts. Uh, You can probably download them all on your podcatcher of choice. That just makes sense. If that's where you're catching this pod, you might also give us a little rating and a review. Oh, we would appreciate it. Yeah, it helps us out. Uh, We can also be reached via social media. Absolutely. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at The Read Along. Uh, You can also send us an email. Yes, please send your digital love to thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always... Love you very much, and we'll see you next time. For the ending! Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois. A proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, all read-along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com.